0: Morning everyone. I look around. I like to look around, see all who's here, smile at people, wink at my cousin. All right. If I can wink. I'm not even sure if I winked. I blink at you, wink at you. Okay. Turn everything on. Okay. So one of the hardest things sometimes about writing a sermon for me is deciding on what topic to talk about. So I had asked Jonathan a few weeks back, what, can you just give me a topic? What, and I'm just, I'll just go from there, just tell me. He's like, he thinks about it and he goes, Zacchaeus. I'm like, Zacchaeus? (laughs) Okay, well, let's see what we can preach about with Zacchaeus. And so, uh, so I went, to read about Zacchaeus, and then, of course, you want to read bigger context around what's happening with Zacchaeus, and that just kind of kept taking me a little further back into um, Zacchaeus is at the beginning of Luke chapter 19, and so it kind of kept taking me back into Luke chapter 18, and so we're actually going to kind of talk about several stories leading up to Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus will be at the end of what we talk about today. So... Um, we, the setup is, well, I titled the sermon, On the Way uh, to Jerusalem. So Jesus is walking along. Um, he's walking along. He's just trolling along. Jesus is heading to Jerusalem. You know, he's been in a lot of different towns throughout Israel, but he is on his way to Jerusalem. Um, Zacchaeus, the story of Zacchaeus is right on the edge of Jesus' triumphal, triumphant entry into uh, Jerusalem. He knows he's on his way there. He's going to be um, killed and um, everything that's going to happen at that point. So, but as he's on his way to Jerusalem, you know, he's interacting with different people on the road along the way and he has a whole crowd of people following him. And all of these people think that Jesus is going to Jerusalem to be crowned King of Israel, not king as in kingdom of God, but that he's going to oust the Romans and he is going to be king on the throne as the son of David. He inherits the throne, but he's going to be a physical king right there crowned in Jerusalem. Um, So that's kind of the people's mindset as they follow him on this road on the way to Jerusalem. Um, So we're going to be in the book of Luke, like I said, um, a lot of chapter 18, a little bit of chapter 19, and Luke, so Luke shares a lot of interactions, parables, different things, and he, um, the reason I'm including all of that is because as I kind of went back, there's just this theme in there, and really it's just the way of Jesus, of humility and um, what you treasure, who has your heart how you treat the poor and the vulnerable, and um, it all just kind of ties in together. And it's really a focus on what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. So we're going to start with Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14, and I hadn't really decided um, what would on which way would be more helpful for me to read it all the way through or and then go back through or piece by piece? I'll let you guys decide really, I guess. Is it helpful for me to read it, like read it through? Because they're just small chunks. Read it small chunks and then we break it down. Read the whole thing and then small chunk it. Carol, that's what Carol says. Whole thing, then small chunk it. That's what we're gonna do. Okay, so Luke chapter 18, verses verse 9 to 14. Um, so this is titled, The Parable of the Pharisee and the Tax Collector. This is the one where I have the most words on the screen, so I'm going to look back here because my vision doesn't like that one up there. So to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So the interesting thing about this uh, parable t- 2 that Jesus gives is it's kind of foreshadowing of this whole section that we're going to be starting about today, because we're going to talk about, um, we're going to end up with the tax collectors at Zacchaeus at the end. So as we kind of go through, this kind of sets up these whole next interactions, how Luke put it together. So... Um, so this section starts out to some who are confident in their own righteousness and look down on everyone else. Jesus told this parable. So the intended audience is for those who trusted in themselves um, that they were righteous, like the religious observant people, like the Pharisees or those that were, um, you know, felt like they followed the, the law to the T. And it can be for anyone that thinks that they are right. Um, in all the things that they do, and therefore God listens to them and God is pleased with them because they do what is right and they trust in their own righteousness. So two men went up to the temple to pray. We said one was a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector. So these were considered very opposite people. Um, Pharisees were very well known for their religious observance. Um, they were honored. They very much tried to Follow all the laws of God. That's like what they, what they did. And tax collectors were hated. Um, they were seen as people, uh, traitors to their people, that they were in allegiance, um, with Rome because they were, you know, tax collectors. They bled their people dry. They took what little that they had, um, for taxes. And, uh, often they even, cheated the people out of and took extra and kept some for themselves. So they were hated by all people. They were despised. Um, so those are the, the two different two different people we're looking at here. So the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. So... The Pharisee, he's standing, um, which is the common posture for prayer at that time, especially public prayer, and he prays regarding himself. And he um, he's thankful that he's not like common folk. He's very prideful. He's thankful that he's not like common folk. And um, And so the people listening to this parable from Jesus would have found, maybe even found this humorous. They're like, oh, yeah. I know a Pharisee like that, you know. And it's probably this guy over here um, that's listening. So, you know, I know that they're they're pretty pious. Um, and he lists he has a big list of sins, and then he also lists big acts of worship. You know, that I give a tenth of all I have, and um, I fast. I give up my food twice a week. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He's standing some distance away. He feels unworthy to God, and he asks for God's mercy because he's a sinner. He is begging for God to atone for his sins. And the word mercy that's used um, for mercy here is for atonement, just like Jesus did on the cross, cross. So, Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So, the man went home in right relationship with God. His sins were atoned for. And God responds to the humble. You know, the Bible says God responds to the humble and he opposes the proud. um, you know, and the humble are lower in dignity or important, and uh, and God exalts them; He lifts them up so that they're then in high regard. So, as we go through these different stories, they all have a little bit. So, just kind of see what what you uh, pull out of them. What has meaning to you? Because as we read through the Bible together, like we always, it might different things might stand out to you. Um, but one thing I see in this section is that we need to humble ourselves before God, um, recognizing unworthiness and asking for atonement. Um, and just like that text collector, God brings justification and he makes relationships right. God responds to the humble. And um, and we talked about kind of the foreshadowing that this is going to bring. So the next, um, after this parable, Jesus um, is walking on. And um, this is the next section about the little children, Jesus. So people were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. So, uh, the people were bringing their babies to Jesus for Him to place their hands on. Why? Probably to bless them. Um, the infant mortality rate was way higher, you know, back then than what it is now with our hospitals and medical care. So they were, you know, possibly hoping that Jesus blessed them, that their baby wouldn't die, that they would live and have a good life. Maybe some of their children needed healing. Um, so they were bringing their children to Jesus. And when the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. This could have been the twelve disciples, but also All of those people following Jesus, a lot of them were considered disciples. So it doesn't necessarily mean the twelve, but it could have been anyone amongst them. But it very well could have been the twelve. They rebuked them. They told them, "Stop bringing your (laughs) babies to Jesus." Um, And they thought that Jesus had more important people to see to talk to than to spend time with the children, than to spend time with the babies. Children were considered. Um, lowly and unimportant. And even though they valued children, they valued family, um, they considered Jesus, Jesus was going to be king. So think about a politician, you know, that maybe wants to be president. Um, they have important things to do, important people to connect with, people of influence, people to help get their agenda going. And it's not going to be these little children unless you need a photo op and you're wanting someone to, um, you know, be compassionate or think that you like children. So Jesus doesn't have time for these children. He's on his way to be king. That's what they they think. These children are not going to lift Jesus's status, you know, and give him that um, oomph to to be able to become king. So so that's kind of what was going on there. Um, But Jesus called the children to him and said, let the little children come to me. And do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Jesus says that the kingdom belongs to the small and the lowly. So we have to think about, that's kind of what Jesus is saying there. Sometimes we read that and we think, well, children, they're they're full of joy and they're trusting. And Jesus is asking us to, to do that. And while that is true, um, he, here he's saying, they're small, they're lowly, they're the vulnerable, they're the humble, And we need to be like that. So Jesus is saying, truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. So we're to receive the kingdom of God like a child, humble, lowly. Um, uh, You know, children, they had no rights. Um, They were needy and dependent. And the children are like the tax collector in that parable we just read. Um, They can't exalt themselves. They're humble, and they don't have a high view of themselves. At least most children don't, especially babies don't. Jesus is saying that we need to be humble and dependent on God. So the children are now also the contrast to the um, rich young ruler in this next story. Okay, so we're going to move on to Luke chapter 18. Uh, Verse 18 to 29. So a certain ruler asked him, Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, we have left all we had to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Okay. Sorry, I need a drink. I can't do it, Josie. I have to tell everyone that I need a drink. Otherwise, it just seems weird why I'm taking a drink and staring at you because you know that I'm not supposed to say I'm taking a drink. All right. So uh, let's start on this section here. (sighs) Um, this story is, just so you know, the story is also in Matthew chapter 19, verse 20, and it's usually titled The Rich Young Ruler, so sometimes I'm just going to say the young ruler, the young man, it's kind of the stories combined together. So a certain man asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he sees, so this man, he sees how Jesus interacts with the children, and so he's saying, what about me? Um, so what must I do to inherit eternal life? If you're saying these lowly children, I've got to be like them. And he calls Jesus good teacher. Jesus says that only God is good. Um, so Jesus may have perceived that this young man was using flattery, um, which was common in these situations. Uh, he was wanting maybe to get Jesus' attention, to wiggle his way in so that he'd look favorably amongst the uh in the eyes of the teacher. And so maybe, or maybe Jesus thought that he was fishing for a compliment in return, you know, as he says, a good teacher, like, Oh yes, good man. You are good. You do good things. Um, so, you know, look at you giving it in response. Um, so he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus lists some of the 10 commandments and he lists the five commandments um, that would fall under the loving your neighbor category of the Ten Commandments. And maybe Jesus lists these because he perceives that there's an issue in the heart of this young man. Um, or he obviously, by the way the young man is dressed, I'm sure he can tell that he's wealthy. And so he might see that, um, you know, that's a problem. Uh, um, what the problem is are that often happens um, with people when you combine power and wealth um, because people who have power and wealth, especially in that time, um, often didn't uh, care for others or have time for others, especially the little and the lowly people, like we talked about um, with, the, with the children or the poor, because it didn't benefit them in any way. Um, and, um, sorry, this is my spot here for a minute. Um, so this is what um, this is what Jesus is addressing with this young man. So um, moving on, he said. Um, so he, Jesus lists all those ten commandments, and then the, the young man says, um, "I have kept all of these since I was a child." So he thinks that he's passed the test, uh, easy breezy. And he thinks that he is not in need of repentance because he's kept um, all of those commandments. And it's a lot like the Pharisee at the temple in that first parable that we talked about, who boasted to God of his own righteousness. So this man is a lot like that. He's convinced that he is good and he's kept everything perfectly. But Jesus sees that there is a problem within. And so he asks him to do something that will confront the heart of the problem. Jesus asked him to sell all his things, give to the poor, and follow him. Then he will have treasure in heaven. Jesus is testing him. He's dealing with a specific heart issue. Jesus wants to see what the man treasures, or he wants to at least reveal the man's heart to himself um, so that he'll see what he, tre- what he treasures. Um, so does he treasure the kingdom of God or his wealth? And will he care for the poor and the lowly? The man became sad because he was wealthy. He didn't want to give up his things. And he chose his wealth over Jesus, over following Jesus, over the kingdom of God. He showed who he loved more. He revealed that his wealth was his treasure. Um, The Bible says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And so... One question then is, can you be wealthy and follow Jesus? Which is what this next you know things people are asking, um, like who can follow you? Then can you be wealthy and follow Jesus? Yes, we see wealthy people in the Bible. We see wealthy people in the Book of Acts. People that are selling their land to share with one another, that are paying for Paul's missionary journeys and things like that. The um, you know you can have money and um, and follow Jesus. Um, but Jesus, in this instance, Jesus needed people to give up their, their their home, their ways, and follow him, to learn his way, to be able to spread the kingdom when he was gone. But part of the thing is um, we don't have to get rid of all of our money to follow Jesus. That's not the point. But following Jesus will radically affect your view and use of wealth. So it will change our relationship with money. Um, and this will look different for everybody and how you use your money. Um, but it affects how you look at being generous. Um, what we spend our money on, what we purchase, um, how we purchase, and where does it come from. So, um, a lot of this, what this is saying is we're, we're looking at things differently. And that man wasn't willing to give, give that up. Um, for the Lord, to follow him because he was in love with his money too much. Um, well, don't need to be in love with money at all. How can we use it for the kingdom? Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is, and I don't know if Jesus is looking at him in his face or if the rich man is walking away, but um, Jesus says, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So um, what is Jesus saying here about camels and needles? So there's some people that'll say, oh, there was this gate in Jerusalem that was called the eye of the needle, and people had to make their camel, you know, go down on their knees and unpack it, and it was really hard for rich people to come in. But there's no evidence in the Bible or or in archaeology and things that there was um, a gate called the eye of the needle. Um, so either Jesus is saying that it's impossible for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven, or that it's really hard for a rich person to enter. And, um, what Jesus is really saying here is that, um, you know, it is, it's, it's hard is that where is your heart? Um, we tend to see wealth as a gateway to the good life. And in Jesus's day, they saw wealth as a blessing from God. It was proof of their faithfulness to God. And um, Jesus is saying that wealth is a hindrance. Um, it's not a sign of God's faithfulness to you. God, you know, he sends rain on the, the, the good and the wicked. Um, but the wealth and influence makes it harder for you to humble yourself and depend on God, to seek his kingdom first. And if you love wealth, it'll be impossible for you to experience the reign and rule of God and depend on him. And so that's what he's saying. That's why he's saying um, to give that up and not to depend on our wealth. So those who heard that said, who then can be saved? And, God, and Jesus says, what is impossible for man is possible for God. God is so powerful that he can rescue wealthy people. He can draw them to himself Um, God does all kinds of impossible things, and wealthy or poor alike can be saved. God can save them all. Peter says um, that we have left everything to follow um, you, Jesus. Peter is saying, everything that you said, we've done that. We have prized you over everything. And Jesus says that all who have left family and home to follow him will receive many times as much in this age, and the age to come eternal life. So Jesus affirms them. He assures them. And he reminds them, uh, again, that the kingdom of God belongs to those who will lower themselves, to people who can depend on God and not on themselves or their possessions. And so um, discipleship relies on us letting go of whatever we are clinging to for life and meaning, status, and importance, and pleasure. um So just taking a moment, what might Jesus um, ask us today to give up? What treasures do we have in our lives that are more important than Jesus? I think one thing that Jesus would ask us to give up today is time. Um, Time is like this precious commodity to us. And I think he would ask us to give up our time, our money, maybe some of our hobbies, scrolling and aimless watching um, that just takes up time um, and our, our attention, endless buying of things. What is our true treasure, and where is our identity found? We need to make Jesus the thing we prize, not just a thing we prize. He is our focus. I'm going to take a drink. It's silence is probably the silence thing. All right, so I think you're seeing the theme in here: humility. We're going to move on to the next thing. Luke eighteen thirty-one to thirty-four. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, um, but this is in here. Jesus um, is telling; he pulls the twelve aside, and he's telling them again. I'm going to Jerusalem. Um, they're going to, you know, I'm going to be delivered over to the Gentiles. They're going to mock me, insult me, spit on me, and I'm going to die. And they still just couldn't see it because their expectations were that Jesus was going to be crowned King, a physical, actual King sitting on a throne in Jerusalem. And so their expectations just didn't allow them to be able to see what was going to happen to Jesus as they went on. So as they're still moving on this road, they're coming close to Jericho. And um, this next section is about a blind man receiving his sight, Luke 1835 to 42. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Okay, so they're approaching Jericho, and a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. He was poor. He had nothing. If you had a disability, you had nothing. You had to rely on others. Um, there's no social security. There's no disability. There's no um, you know, welfare of any sort. You had to rely on the others to take care of you and it's Passover season, and so he knows that giving to a beggar is a righteous act, and so he's hoping if he sits out there that somebody coming by will want to give him something. Um, So he hears the crowd, and he asks what's going on, and he's told that it's Jesus of Nazareth. So it's not the first time Jesus has been through this area, so maybe he's heard of, I'm guessing he's heard of the acts that Jesus has done. And um, so he knows about Jesus. He probably knows that Jesus has healed other blind people like him. And he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So son of David is a royal title. And the blind man is the only person in Luke's gospel to call Jesus by this royal title. Um, he believes that Jesus is the king, the son of God. Um, so he cried out in faith. He was desperate. And those who led the way rebuked him. What does that sound like? Just a little bit ago, when they were rebuking the children, the lowly, the ones that are, you know, in need. And so here's this man in need. Again, they see him as not important, um, not anybody that can help Jesus' influence as they're on the way to Jerusalem. Um, so they tell him to to stop. Um, and so he calls out all the more. And in Mark's gospel, um, he calls him blind Bartimaeus. 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 Um, so this man is probably the same. Bartimaeus, he cry, cries out again. Um, and Jesus stopped and ordered the blind man to be brought to him. And Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? And he replied, Lord, I want to see. He doesn't tone down his, repl- his request. Um, He has faith that King Jesus can do it. And Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he receives his sight, and he follows Jesus, praising God. Jesus is his treasure. Um, When all the people saw it, they also praised God. Jesus has... um, mm, Let me see. No, I'm going to skip that. Um, So this is just reminding us again that the kingdom belongs to those who lower themselves and depend on God. All right. So we are now to Zacchaeus, finally. Um, How many of you learned the Zacchaeus song when you were a kid in church? Raise your hand if you've learned the Zacchaeus song. So some of you learned the Zacchaeus song. I'm going to sing the Zacchaeus song for you. Warning, I cannot sing. So it's going to be singing, talking, and you get to see my singing skills. Um, but at the end, I've learned that I learned the Zacchaeus song wrong. So we're going to see um, how how you learn the ending to the Zacchaeus song. So it starts out, Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm going to your house. Oh, I'm hearing different things. I'm going to your house today or for tea? Today for tea, for tea. So as I learned this when I was a kid, I'm going to your house for tea because Jesus is totally British and he's going to their house to have tea, which is not the case. Jesus is not British. I'm being silly. Um, but that's what I learned. Going to your house for tea. Um, it's probably going to your house today because that's actually what scripture says. But we learned Zacchaeus was a wee little man. So as a child, this is Jesus, or excuse me, BJ has been doing Sunday school, the rest of the story. This is my um, Sunday school song, the rest of the story. This next part was Zacchaeus. Um, so I learned that Zacchaeus was a wee little man. So I imagined him being small, more like a leprechaun or something. A wee little man that Jesus was angry with him because he was up in the tree. Um, and that then Jesus said, come down because I need tea. I'm going to your house and we're going to have tea. And then that was the end of the song, um, going to your house for tea. Um, so, um, maybe like in this picture, maybe Jesus has some iced tea in his hand and he's going there to Zacchaeus' house and having iced tea. I don't know. But, um, apparently, yeah, I wasn't the only one. I thought maybe it was just us at GermFast Church that had learned that, but Carol learned it that way too, and I'd found this on the internet, although most people had come into your house today. So, um, that is my Zacchaeus song. So Zacchaeus is the counterpart in this story to the rich young ruler, um, that came to Jesus, and, um, they're both wealthy. They're both rulers. They're both extremely wealthy. Um it's also like the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector at the beginning of today, and so we're ending with the tax collector. Um Jesus let's see here, let's just go ahead and we'll read the account of Zacchaeus. So Luke 19, 1 to 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. Um, I'm just going to stop at this point, and then we'll continue on in a bit. So um, so Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. So Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. Jericho was a border city. It was an important place for a tax office to collect customs, um, tolls, trades, tariffs, etc., um, he was the head of the tax collectors, at least in that city or region. Um, so he was important. He was an overseer. Even though he was despised by people, he was important amongst the tax collectors, and he was rich. Um, we already kind of talked about how, what people thought of tax collectors. And he wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. Being short is different than being Wee high, like a leprechaun. I am short and would not be able to see over a crowd, although I don't consider myself we, but um uh, he so he was um short or maybe he was a little person and of smaller stature, but not so so short, of course, I guess when I was a kid and I was singing that, I was probably only this tall, so you think of somebody that short. um so, um he. Um ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. So this is what a sycamore fig tree looks like. So this is the kind of tree that Jesus climbed up in, or Zacchaeus climbed up in, and these are what the little figs look like on the tree, which I think they look very pretty. Um, So wealthy men did not run. And they did not climb trees. Think about a businessman climbing a tree, or a business person climbing a tree in a suit. Like, you don't see that. And um, so, but he was so eager to see Jesus. Um, the gate, the, how a wealthy person walked, showed their status and um, dignity. So um, he wouldn't have done that. Or normally, he wouldn't have done that. But anyways, he really wanted to see Jesus. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. So when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and saw Zacchaeus, and he said to come down, hurry up and come down. I must stay at your house. Um, I don't think that Jesus was angry with him for being up in the tree. Zacchaeus, come down. Um, I'm sure Jesus spoke to him with compassion and mercy. He acknowledged him. Jesus knows his name. And uh, he doesn't rebuke him. He doesn't say, Zacchaeus, you terrible tax collector, come down. I want you to feed me today. He says, come down. I want to spend time with you. I know your name. I want to stay at your house. And so this was shocking to Zacchaeus, and it was shocking to the people around Jesus um, The people would have rejoiced to have seen Jesus rebuking a tax collector. Um, but remember, Jesus also has a disciple, Matthew, who was a tax collector. Jesus is compassionate, and he, he eats all the time with tax collectors. So Zacchaeus came down, let's see here, um, came down immediately and welcomed Jesus gladly. Um So I'm going to finish it out here. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So Zacchaeus came down at once, and he welcomed Jesus gladly, and all the people that saw it began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. In this time, uh, like ate with like. Uh, respectable people ate with respectable people. Sinners ate with sinners, and they considered Jesus a respectable person. Um, so why would he eat with Zacchaeus? Um, they believed that he was going to be their king, that he was going to be crowned Messiah in Jerusalem, which is going to... Be just here in this next chapter. Um, And so now they're starting to question and wonder about Jesus and kind of look down on him. Like he doesn't seem like the respectable guy that we thought he was. Um, So uh, yeah, they just don't understand why he would be eating with a low life like Zacchaeus. But Jesus is not worried about what the crowd thinks. He doesn't do what he does based on what the crowd thinks or feels or traditions. Um, he does what he needs to do. And um, so Zacchaeus stood up and said to Jesus, Look, Lord, right now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Zacchaeus found his treasure. He repents, and he turns from his ways of cheating, and he shares his wealth. He gives it to the poor, the lowly, the those in need. The fruit... um, he repen- see. yeah. The fruit of salvation shows up immediately in Zacchaeus. He's giving more than what the law required when you cheated someone. The law said to give the full amount plus twenty percent. So Zacchaeus is being very generous. Jesus didn't even ask Zacchaeus to give anything away, like he did with the rich man. Um, he knew he had Zacchaeus' heart. So Zacchaeus found his treasure in the Lord, joy and mercy. He had a change of heart unlike the rich man, and he was compelled by the grace and mercy of Jesus to give to others. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man um, came to seek and to save the lost. So Jesus was there with Zacchaeus because he was lost. Zacchaeus was lost, but he's now found and will inherit the promises of Abraham. He has the faith of Abraham. Jesus welcomes all people and seeks the lost, and he welcomes the lost when they come home. So that was our bit of our journey on the Jerusalem road today, leading up to Zacchaeus. And after this, Jesus um, goes on to give another parable and goes in uh, into Jerusalem on the donkey. So what do we take away from all of that? Did you notice the themes in there? Obviously, I pointed them out, so I'm sure that you've seen some. But maybe you picked up on other things. Maybe um, you really relate to the blind man, and you desperately need something, and you're crying out for Jesus. Maybe you feel that, I have a little bit too much attachment to my wealth and things, and I brought a lot of stuff for all things in common this weekend. But maybe there's even some other things, some things that I like that I didn't want to give away, but I really could give away. Um, but like, and then just noticing for me, what stood out was the treasure and just wondering, what do I treasure? And um, And is it Jesus who has my heart, who really has my heart? And can I let go of whatever I cling to for life, meaning, security, status, importance, and mostly pleasure? It really comes down to me for a lot of stuff for pleasure, things I just enjoy. Am I just making money so I can go on another trip, on another thing, buy this other thing? Um, um, That's just pleasure. How do I look at my money differently so that I have more money to be able to give to those in need? um how does how i spend my money affect people around the world even right down to like lately i'm just like okay so a lot of things that we recycle and throw away get dumped in in impoverished country somewhere so every time i buy yogurt in these little individual plastic cups it's just more stuff that's getting dumped on poor people somewhere in some other country i don't want to do that so how do i spend my money um to help care for people here and there and things I don't even see. And just even just taking one step um, to think differently about how I spend my money. Do I humble myself or do I exalt myself? And how can I simplify my life? Coming into all things in common is always a time when we're thinking about how can I simplify? How can I get rid of more things? And so for me, along with learning about Zacchaeus and just this whole story, I've been thinking about how can I simplify, and not just in my belongings, but just in my life in other ways. And I just took on another part-time job, so what else do I need to simplify in my life so that I have time to spend with my family, with all of you, to care for those in need? Um, uh, what do we need to simplify here in our church and as a body, so that we are able to give and to help more to those in need. What do we just keep up with, both in our lives and here? Because it's just been established before, it's what we do, but we need to just kind of let it go. So for me, those are some of the things that I've taken away. And just a really focus, big focus on um, Jesus as my treasure and as um, yeah, who I have my eyes fixed on. So Jesus is our treasure, and he is the one we prize. And will we let go of all other things? So I'm going to go ahead and pray. After I pray today, if you need prayer for anything or you want to talk to me, I'll be up front for just a short bit of time because I really want to be able to help get all this stuff out of the attic. But just a reminder to... Um, If you can have time to hang around even after you bring your stuff in to help other people bring their stuff in out of their vehicles, and then we'll put it all right here in the sanctuary, that would be awesome. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we love you. You are good. And you are our treasure. Please show us ways within us, things within us, Lord, that we need to let go of, that we need to weed out. Things that we're treasuring that we don't even realize that we're treasuring. Please show us what, um, if there's things that we are putting above you, Lord. Please show us ways that we can humble ourselves, ways that we can use what you've given us to share with others. that we would hold our items loosely because we treasure you and we want to be humble and we want to care for those that are in need. Please open our eyes to see those that are in need. That we would take the time to spend with those that are in need. And thank you for your love, for your goodness. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you that you draw us to you. We thank you for your healing, your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.